0: Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat number 228 for the 22nd of January 2016. My name's John Shire and I'll be hosting this week. Along with me is Paul Ducklin. Good afternoon, Paul. Hello, John. So Chester's a bit under the weather uh, this week and I happen to be uh, well rested from uh, some time off in sunny Jamaica. So it seems uh, perfect that I can just jump right in here and, and get this podcast started for this week. Excellent. Let's get right onto it. Yeah, so there's been a a developing story, I guess you could say, around encryption these days and and cryptography in in general. Um, It's been developing for quite some time. Uh, One could say it's been going on for decades. It's rather coming to a bit of a head recently because some fairly high-profile entities have basically come out and, and definitively stood their ground on the one side of the discussion, which is, that of cryptographic backdoors, and shall they be allowed or not in products, and, and shall they be supported? Um, first, we had the Netherlands that basically came out and said, no, we we really don't believe that this is the right way to go. And now we've got France effectively saying the same thing. We
1: have. It's I think that's great, actually, because... Traditionally, it's been, if you like, governments versus technology companies, with technology companies saying, hey, we've got this opportunity to do security better and better with ever improved encryption that's strong enough that because it can't be cracked, we can defend our data and our customers' data against crooks. Don't make us weaken it. And you know, the government approach has been, well, that can get in the way of law enforcement, it can get in the way of surveillance, it can get in the way of dealing with terrorists. But suddenly, as you say, the Netherlands uh, and now France have looked into this from a public service point of view and are pretty much saying it's not really about privacy and about surveillance and about the social contract of government. It's about the fact that you can't make something stronger by weakening it. And we think it would be bad for our own economies if we tried to solve the problem in the way of saying, well, we'll all use weak encryption, except perhaps the crooks.
0: Yeah, France's minister was quoted as saying, you know, what you're proposing is vulnerability by design, and I think we we do agree with that statement. Yes,
1: that was quite nicely put. I think that that sums it up well.
0: With that said, let's move along to some other criminal activity, and that is um, something that's been around for a little while, but I think is gathering a bit more steam as it seems to be getting a bit more popular with the bad guys, and that's malvertising, which is uh, short for malicious online advertising. This is where basically the bad guys insert some bogus ads into the stream of regular ads on websites, uh, websites that very often rely on advertisements to provide content. And this is sort of where the free versus pay for content debate comes into play but malvertising you know is one of these things that can make a lot of money for the bad guys and because it is sort of ephemeral and and they have uh, you know a very easy way of distributing their content because hey you know they didn't they don't they're not paying for the bandwidth they haven't you know they haven't bothered setting up the infrastructure somebody else has so it really is something that is catching on and and you know making lives miserable for a lot of people these days
1: it is john and the real problem imagine that you've got a website that has a deal with say, a hundred different ad networks, uh, and that's not unusual, and each of those a hundred ad networks, say, has a database, a big bucket today of a thousand different ads that it might serve at different times, depending on who visits, what browser, what geolocation, and so forth. If the crooks can get just 10 malicious ads, say, redirects to exploit kits, in amongst those ads... Tracking back exactly where those bad ads came from is really difficult. It's typically high-profile, trusted sites that have the malverts injected into them. So it's not as though by visiting them, you feel as though you're doing something dodgy. It's a little bit of a a sort of malware distribution dream come true for the crooks.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. And there's, you know, there's unfortunately a lot of places where the compromise can take place as well. You know, there's the ad servers themselves. So if you're a smaller business that wishes to roll your own, you know, you could conceivably compromise that site or that, that uh, you know, open source ad server. There's the different ad networks that are involved. Uh, sometimes there's multiple ad networks, as you said, and and those can be compromised as well. And then finally, there's the, you know, the real-time bidding services, which is a place where it's kind of like an eBay for ads, where you can basically put in some demographics of uh, the people that you want your your ad to be seen by and then bid on cost per 1000 views of that ad. And so all of these areas can can be exploited and malicious ads be inserted into into the process. Yes, and if you can compromise one
1: ad network, but that ad network at various times actually pushes content into hundreds of different mainstream sites. Your ads are also popping up all over the place on otherwise trustworthy domains. I think the thing that is of most concern to me about malvertising is that it really does give the lie to people who go oh I don't worry too much about malware scanning or web filtering I'm a safe surfer the point is it's not enough for you to be a safe surfer you have to be surfing a safe site that's hooked into a safe ad network that's got a database full of safe ads you know in the end the the, the ad network's I guess, are going to have to lift their game about how they decide which ads they'd accept, what pre-vetting they do when those new ads are uploaded.
0: Now, you mentioned exploit kits as being part of the malvertising ecosystem. It's just one of the ways that when you do hit a bad advert, what can go wrong is you get redirected to uh, an exploit kit. And the Angler Exploit Kit is certainly one that's caught our attention of late. Uh, again, as, as with a lot of things, the, the most successful ones kind of rise to the top. And as far as Sophos Labs is concerned, this is definitely one that has been quite prominent, except with one little blip on New Year's Eve.
1: From New Year's Eve and around, the, the, the traffic we were seeing that was related to the Angler Exploit Kit uh, did drop off. I mean, not completely. Let's face it, people were unfortunately still getting infected even on New Year's Eve but it did look as though they'd had a little vacation. And just to explain, an exploit kit is, it, its if you like, it's a, a service you can rent or license from fellow crooks, where instead of you having to worry about how you create poison web pages and how you do drive-by installs, you say to these guys, hey, here's the malware I want you to distribute. You deal with actually finding vulnerabilities in the victim's browser, making the exploits work, and installing my malware, and I'll pay you on results. Unfortunately, this uh, the sort of vacation that the Angler guys seem to have taken uh, soon ended, and they're back with a vengeance. And it seems that the main malware that's getting distributed by the Angler exploit kit, their partners in crime, if you like, CryptoWall ransomware. Who would have thought?
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, we've just gone ahead and had to upgrade the leftmost digit in CryptoWall to version 4.0.
1: Yes, it makes it sound so legit, doesn't it? Oh, look, a fine new version of our encrypting ransomware.
0: It it just does. But, you know, the problem is these things do iterate and they do improve upon previous designs. And, uh, you know, they they try to make their their products that much better. Much like the malvertising guys who try to sort of hide in plain sight
1: Yes. And, you know, as, as we said in the naked security article, you might say for better or for worse, the crypto wall gang have got something of a reputation for what you might call honesty among rogues in that if you do pay the ransom and you do buy the key, they almost certainly are going to send it to you and the decryption system is almost certainly going to work and you almost certainly will get your files back. They've got this reputation that although nobody likes sending the money, it does work. And that has, uh, unfortunately, only led to their business growing.
0: It's easy for us to sort of stand on our ivory towers and say, hey, thou shalt not pay the ransom. But um, if you haven't taken the necessary precautions ahead of time, not by negligence, but by the fact that you simply don't have the resources, um, this is sometimes a necessary evil if it means the difference between you going out of business or not. Yes. And don't forget Because the use of an
1: exploit kit, which relies on finding some vulnerability you haven't patched yet, because that's a primary vehicle for ransomware to get into your system these days, if you follow our advice to patch early, patch often, it's very likely that if you do hit an exploit kit page, it'll try its sequence of exploits and they'll all fail and that's the end of it. Of course, that doesn't mean you don't need to make backup, because backup is a great precaution anyway. But defense in depth, absolutely your friend when
0: it comes to ransomware. So speaking of patching, you're an iOS user, right, Paul? I am. It seems that uh, Apple has released uh, another batch of patches in the form of iOS 9.2.1. Yes. Yes. There was one bug in particular that uh, caught our attention that we wrote about on Naked Security, which I thought was really interesting and and sort of a novel way of using, um, I guess you could call it a feature on the iPhone for determining whether or not you are behind a captive portal. And what's also interesting is really the, the age of this particular vulnerability and the excellent patience and responsible disclosure by the Uh, the fellows who found this particular vulnerability.
1: Yes, you're right that Apple patched OS 10 and iOS at the same time with a point release. That's how they normally do these things. And I rushed to get the OS 10 patches. Six bugs relating to local user can elevate privilege all the way to kernel level, plus a remote code execution in the browser. So I thought, right, that's the reason I want both of these updates. They're important. And then I found out about the, the extra one, which is a bug in a in a in a thing called web sheet, which is the kind of mini browser that pops up, as you say, when you're going on to say a free a Wi-Fi hotspot and it redirects your traffic and sends you to one of those captive portals where you have to accept Ts and Cs or log in or go to a pay page or something like that. It's kind of like a, a separate browser that pops up. The problem is that the bug that these chaps found was that it actually could share cookies with stuff you'd already done in regular mobile Safari, which meant that a malicious hotspot portal could, in theory, do something like grab authentication cookies for, say, your social network logins, let you log into the captive portal, and now it can then later connect as you and maybe do something on your behalf.
0: Yeah, and there was an interesting uh, sort of reversal of that as well, wasn't there? When uh, if you weren't logged into anything, the portal could actually log you in as someone else and set authentication cookies for, for later. So basically, you'd think you were logged into Facebook, for example, and all your interactions on that site would actually be feeding possibly um, some other account that the, the crooks were trying to make look like a, a valid human account and maybe do some, some click fraud on. Yes. Uh, In other words, that not
1: only could the Captive Portal borrow authentication cookies that had been set by you before you connected to the Captive Portal, uh, it could also write cookies back to Mobile Safari later once you'd gone through the Captive Portal. That is a very, very, very good reason to go right now if you're an iOS user and make sure you have 9.2.1. So you want settings,
0: general, software update. And again kudos to the folks over at Skycure for really you know doing this responsibly and and holding on to this information until Apple had a chance to fix it.
1: Yes, they did they did say that they were surprised at how complicated it was to Apple for Apple to fix. I'm not sure how it could have been that complicated, but obviously it was. So as you say, yes, hats off to them for not deciding to go for glory a year ago when it might have given Crooks a bit of a hint to go looking for this bug knowing that it wasn't going to be patched for a while so well done for waiting we appreciate it
0: right and let's finish off with uh i guess you could call it an amusing story i guess sometimes you could call it a depressing story but uh you know the the list of the 25 worst passwords of 2015 has finally been published um and i guess if hats off means congratulations i guess we better keep our hats on for this one so, there's a company out there called Splash data, and every year they release a list of uh the twenty five worst passwords and basically the way they they do this is they they aggregate passwords uh that were part of um various breaches uh that they've collected throughout the year, yeah, I guess it's a bit of the same old same old isn't it?
1: Yes, in the top twelve you have and I shall read them all out even though this will take a while you have one, two, three, four. and in twelfth place, 1-2-3-4-5-6-7-8-9-0. Folks, you don't make a password that much stronger by adding a couple of predictable characters on. Folks, you need more entropy, more variability, more mix-up than that.
0: Yeah, and some of the other new ones, uh, you know, we can tell definitely pop culture has influenced them, such as the password Solo, the password Princess, and the password Star Wars coming in at number 25. (laughs) Oh, dear. I know it's a good movie. I've seen it twice myself, but it's not a good password.
1: It certainly is not.
0: And on that note, I will conclude Sophos Security Chetless Chat number 228. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more at soundcloud.com slash security on iTunes and wherever quality podcasts are found. For all of your security news, please head on over to NakedSecurity.sophos.com. And until next time, stay secure.